We wish you welcome. Also, our listeners, we wish you welcome. It's good to be visiting with you again. And we're going to read the 21st chapter in Matthew. But let me first remind you that the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord of peace, that he himself is with you and give you his peace, no matter what today is like. One day can be better than the other. And in all days, all days, he is with us. So, Matthew 21, starting at the 18th verse, we are reading about the, about the cursing of the fig tree. And verse 18 starts with the Greek word, Pro-ia, pro-ia, and is early, it means early morning, from pro, before, before day. So it gives us very early, as in Mark, the first chapter, verse 35, he translates, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, a great while before day. That's how Mark says it, rather. And this withered fig tree is another important incident in the Lord's last days before the cross. Mark makes it clear in Mark 11, the verses 12 and 13, that the incident actually happened on the Monday morning, the same day as, but before, the cleansing of the temple. It says in Mark 11, verse 12, Now the next day, the day after the triumphant entry in Jerusalem, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, in verse 13, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And the reason that is mentioned, that it is mentioned now at this point by Matthew is because of an important comment the Lord will be making on the following day, which then was Right, Tuesday morning. So, here we are. Matthew records verse 18 that when the Lord came into Jerusalem on this Monday morning, he was hungry. No explanation is given why, only the, the thought or the impression that the Lord had not eaten before he left Bethany, where Mark records he spends the night while there are others who think that his being hungry may have been an indication that perhaps he had been up most of the night, perhaps even outside and just slept a little or hardly at all. But as recorded, the Lord Jesus was hungry. Now, G. Campbell Morgan, in his writing, The Gospel According to Matthew, or his book rather, believes that the Lord spent the night 
he believes in some long, lone vigil on the hillside in a quiet and secluded place. That's what Mr. Campbell says. Now, J. J. Vernon McGee in Through the Bible tells that there has been a great deal of difficulty to interpret the fig tree incident. He writes, I've heard all sorts of ideas about what the fig tree represents. The fig tree, I believe, he writes, is symbolic of Israel, as in Matthew 24, as we shall see later. He writes, at least we can say with confidence that when our Lord came into the world, there was no fruit evidenced by the nation Israel. There were only the outward leaves of a ritualistic, lifeless religion. This the Lord condemned. He continues, the nation of Israel went through a religious form, but they had no power. They had turned what God had given them into a dead, lifeless ritual without vitality and virility, which no longer was accomplishing God's purpose. He writes, and I am of the opinion that God will deal the same with the organized church which has turned its back upon the person of Jesus Christ. Again, let me say, McGee writes, that I feel his cursing of the fig tree is symbolic. Certainly, he condemned the nation of Israel and the nation suffered devastating judgment in A.D. 70, he writes, and he closes his quote. Now let's go to the verses 18 and 19 in chapter 21 of Matthew. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. So we read that early in the morning the Lord is up and returns to the city of Jerusalem. And so like many of us in the morning, he was hungry. And going back in time, he had everything. He had all riches in glory, but he came here. He came down to earth for us, and here, for us, the king became poor. And the king was hungry. But here by the wayside, there is a fig tree with a lot of leaves. And he goes over to the tree and looks for some fruit, but there was nothing, not even old fruit. He finds nothing, and then his curse follows. A curse? 
that withers away the tree. Arno C. Gablin, in his book, The Gospel of Matthew, is of much the same opinion as McGee. He writes, and I quote, It is well known that the fig tree is the type of Israel. The cursing of the fig tree stands for the national rejection of the people. Israel yielded no fruit. And Gabriel writes, Therefore, the barren tree was cut off and cast into the fire while the root remains. Mark 11, verse 20, in the New King James Version says, Now in the morning as they, talking about the disciples, passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Notice that the roots were still intact. Back to verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. Now this about the fig tree. Normally a fig tree bears fruit about 40 days after the leaves show. So after a reasonable time, fruit is expected. And it seems that in the Middle East they would eat figs even if they weren't fully ripe. And early figs seemed to be the best indication that there would be a lot of figs that spring going into summer. So let's go back to 19. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Now whether the fig tree started immediately on the Lord's command is not mentioned, but it was not until the following day on the Tuesday morning when the disciples were on that same road and returned to where the fig tree was that they noticed that the fig tree had withered away as recorded in Mark 11 verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. What were the disciples to think? That the Lord cursed the fig tree because he couldn't find fruit on it? Stanley M. Horton in the Complete Biblical Library comments, it should be considered that Jesus, the one who patiently received his daily bread from God, did not curse the tree merely because he found no fruit on it. Therefore, his actions may be considered symbolic, just as his cleansing of the temple, as in the verses 12 and 13 of this chapter. It was a prophetic sign suggesting God's judgment of unrepentant Israel, or Jerusalem, at times called an unfruitful tree, says Horton. And he quotes, Horton quotes, Hosea 9 verse 19, 
and this from the New International Version, Ephraim is blighted, their root is withered, they yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. He also quotes Micah 7 verse 1 and Matthew 3 verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he also quotes Luke 13, the verses 6 through 9. Jot it down, maybe you want to read it later. So gathering from these three scholars, McGee, Gabelin, and Horton, it seemed that the Lord was using this fig tree to show his reaction to Israel's spiritual condition to the people. And to the religious leaders of the temple in Jerusalem in more or less the same thought that the Lord Jesus himself experienced as described in John 1 verse 11 that he came to his own and his own received him not. The majority did not. Remember? And Horton writes, this shows that Jesus came to Israel expecting a fruitful response to the gospel. He found instead nothing but leaves of a dead, formal, unspiritual religion. His cursing of the fig tree thus became a reproof or criticism, Horton writes, of what he had seen in the temple, which he called a den of thieves, verse 13, and a rejection of the temple. The drying up of the fig tree was a figure of an example of the judgment of Jerusalem, and in AD 70, Titus indeed destroyed Jerusalem. And Horton quotes Luke 19, verse 40 through 44, and gives further confirmation to this, in which a prophecy of judgment on the destruction of Jerusalem. In verse 42, eternal peace was within your reach, and you turned it down. He wept, and now it is too late. Your enemies will pile up earth against your walls and encircle you and close in on you and crush you to the ground and your children within you. Your enemies will not leave one stone upon another for you have rejected the opportunity God offered you. This is from the translation of the Living Bible. Now Adam Clark's commentary says concerning the followers of the Lord Jesus, 
and I quote, when the soul continues in unfruitfulness, the influences of grace are removed, and then the tree withers from the very root. That's what Adam Clark wrote long time ago. And that is how it was with the fig tree. It is well known that many scholars consider the fig tree the type of Israel. The cursing of the fig tree stands for the national rejection of the people. And yielding no fruit, the barren tree was cut off and thrown in the fire while the root remains. In John 15, the Lord taught much the same truth in the parable of the vine and the branches. You probably remember that the believer who shares his life with the Lord and who lets the Lord share his life with him will prove to be fruitful. As John 15 verse 5 testifies, brings forth much fruit. But if a believer does not live in the Lord Jesus, he will become powerless and useless and become like a branch that is broken off and withers away because cut off from the Lord, we can't do anything at all. They who don't share their life with the Lord Jesus are like a branch that is broken off and withers away and they become like the dry sticks that are used for firewood. We did that once at a Bible study with a fresh branch and stuck it in a closet for a few weeks and took it out after a while. It looked pitiful. Now also we are admonished not to be proud or high-minded, but rather live in reverence and respect for the power of the Lord God. Now it doesn't say that the disciples had any interest in why the Lord cursed the fig tree. They saw the result, and they, but they didn't say it right away. But about 24 hours later, on the Tuesday morning, when they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots up, they were amazed that this had happened, and happened so quickly. And they wanted to know how the Lord had done it. Verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? Well, of course, naturally, the disciples only saw the result of the curse. The withering of the tree and even even though they had no idea about the possible symbolic meaning of the drying up of the tree, they sure were amazed that the tree had withered so completely. And to them, it was the most amazing thing 
And the Lord did not immediately respond to the question his disciples had. How did the fig tree wither away so soon, they asked. Instead, he repeated the admonition of Matthew 17, verse 20, that if they would have faith as little as a mustard seed, they would be able to say to some mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and that nothing would be impossible for them. And that believing is not just a hoping and a wishing for something to happen or to come true, but that it depends on unwavering trust and incomplete readiness to be in the will of God. And the Lord was not speaking about some trick one could learn to literally move mountains or do miracles at their heart's desire. Even the Lord was not to do his own will, but the will of his Father. As we read in John 6, verse 38, it says, I have come down from heaven, the Lord said, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what the Lord had said. And the kind of faith in God the Lord was talking about was not only belief and trust in God, but also knowledge of the will of God and a commitment to obey God, as Elijah did and also said in 1 Kings 18, verse 36, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. John F. Walford in Matthew, Thy Kingdom Come, a commentary on the first gospel, comments, Many questions have been raised about the incident, including the problem that Jesus as God should have known that there was no fruit on the tree. Here Matthew is apparently speaking from the viewpoint of human intelligence only, but the whole incident was planned as means of conveying truth to the disciples. Answering how the disciples were wondering about the fig tree incident, the Lord gave them a small sermon on faith that if they had real faith in God, they would not only be able to curse the fig tree effectively, effectively as he had done, but as it says in verse 21, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And he added the promise, verse 22, and whatever things you ask 
in prayer, believing you will receive. In other words, they should not be so surprised and marvel, but they should pray and believe. RVG Tasker in the Gospel according to St. Matthew writes, Many expositors see in the fig tree a type of Israel, fruitless and yet showing leaves of outer religion. And this is frequently tied to Matthew 24, verse 32, referring to a parable of the fig tree, where it says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree, the Lord speaking, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. And Tasker adds, there is no scriptural support for this interpretation contextually. And Walford adds, there's no ground today to support Lenski in his statement made in 1943 that Judaism stands blasted from the roots to this day. Israel instead is marvelously revived today. And Walford adds, Jesus made no application to Israel as a nation here, nor does the context of the fig tree in Matthew 24 refer to Israel. While Jeremiah 24, the verses 1 through 8, uses good and bad figs to represent the captives in Israel as contrasted to those remaining in the land. Actually, there's no case in the Bible where a fig tree is used as a type of Israel. And in view of the silence of Scripture on this point, it is preferable to leave the illustration as it is, a lesson on faith and the miraculous rather than a lesson on fruitlessness. Gabriel says, they wondered at the power which made the fig tree wither. The Lord calls to their attention that the power of God is ready to answer their faith. And the connection, he says, or writes, is obvious. Israel had no faith in God, hence their bareness. If they had faith, it shall be far different. He said, if they have faith, it shall be far different. The power of God is then at their disposal. The mountain is the type of an obstacle. Every obstacle can be and will be removed out of the way in answer to prayer. He writes that there is a reference to Israel in these words is no doubt true. Gabriel writes, the nation was a mountain 
and by its disobedience and rejection of the Lord, the nation was an obstacle in the path of the gospel. But on account of faith, this mountain indeed was cast into the sea. The type of the nations, the nations being the sea, Gabriel means. He writes, precious to faith has ever been and ever will be the word, the author and the finisher of faith speaks here. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Let us not limit them, nor say as some have said, it is not for us. They are for the children of God, and there is no limit to them. All things whatsoever, and surely there's no limit here. And then the three steps, asking in prayer, believing, and receiving. He, the king who has all power, spake these words, and what a meaning they should have for us. May we cast ourselves upon them in childlike faith, Gabriel wrote. And McGee comments, Our Lord is giving them a lesson in prayer, that there should be faith in prayer. They, means the disciples, marvel that the fig tree was cursed. And he tells them that their problem is they do not have faith to believe that God can move in such a miraculous way. Frankly, McGee writes, I do not believe that our business cursing fig trees or removing literal... He says, I do not believe that our business is cursing fig trees or removing literally mountains. For many years I've lived in Southern California right along the Sierra Madre Mountains and to me they're lovely and I've never wanted to move them. I feel that there is something bigger and more important to do than mountain moving and fig tree cursing. McGee writes, to preach the gospel of Christ, to give out the word of God so that the spirit of God can use it. That, my friend, McGee writes, is a miracle. When these lips of clay can say something that the spirit of God can use to transform a life, that involves the kind of faith that I want. What we need is faith to believe that God can and will use his word. Horton writes, Believers have a relationship with God. For this reason, it is natural for them to pray. Faith and prayer are inseparably, inseparably linked, Horton writes, Praying must be done in faith, otherwise it is useless. 
on the other side of the matter. And Horton quotes verse 21, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Horton writes, faith should be accompanied by prayer or faith can become misdirected. Always, it should be remembered, Horton writes, a believer's request should be in line with God's will. If they are, answers may be expected. And he quotes 1 John 5, the verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And Horton adds, the believing is a present particle indicating that believing should continually characterize the one who prays. This in contrast to doubt, which wavers, hesitates, and hinders the one praying from exercising faith, he writes. It's interesting how some Often the intellectual or the would-be intellectual like to reason out faith and prayer and how to operate or even manipulate faith against belief to get something from the Lord or set up rules or teach others to get things from the Lord. See this. When we are getting something something from the Lord, he wanted us to have it in the first place anyway. And then it is our turn to receive by just trusting him. And it's just as simple as that. And one more thing. When we were born... We trusted our mother, our father. Sure, some weren't worthy of our trust, but you know God is. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of the trust of his child. David said this already around 1,000 before Christ. That's over, over 3,000 years ago. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You knew this already. I just wanted to remind you of it. Commit 
thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He bless you.